Hugo, have you heard that new song that we've got that I really like? It's our first good one for a while. It's, you know, we've got all the Nathans, so it goes. How's it going, man? Well, it goes, all the Nathans play for Dalich, Fergie, Green, Mavila. Oh, hang on, mate. Mavila's just left. Oh, for fuck. It would be nice if all the teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Swaggering dandies. An absolute humdinger. Hello and welcome to Ford the Hamlet. My name is Ben Sibley and you join me recording in the Dulwich Hamlet boardroom or technically the Dulwich Hamlet boardroom small bar. Uh, one of the most inauspicious locations I think we might have recorded a podcast in. We've been away for a while and uh, it's nice to be back. We're going to rifle through our running order today just to not keep you too long. Uh, we're going to cover Dulwich leaving Tooting and returning to Champion Hill on Boxing Day. A quick review of the summary so far, including some deep dive stats, which we've worked up. Uh, the recent upturn in form, the glad recent upturn in form. A uh, quick preview of this weekend's Torquay game, uh, recent transfers, and then anything else that either myself or Hugo forget. And on that note, Hugo, hello, how are you? Good evening, Ben. It's great to see you again. How's the, how's the new year keeping you? Uh, very well, actually. Uh, I didn't really have any January blues. Uh, Dulwich did though, which is a fairly familiar sight. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, we'll cover that in a in a short while. Um, but at least we've been singing the Champion Hill Street Blues because we are back, <laughs> and it's farewell to Tooting. Yeah, and uh, slightly sad to see the back of the K and K. If I'm completely honest, mainly because it was the stadium that we've always wanted, really, with the terracing. Uh, not to mention. The shack, although if we looked outside right now and it wasn't pitch black, we would see said shack. We would, wouldn't we? We have brought it yeah. back to the hill with us, <laughs> gloriously. Um, but yeah, as I said, slightly sad to leave the K&K, but uh, I think returning home on Boxing Day was a kind of perfect bookend to that chapter, really. Yeah, it was, and it, it came about a lot more rapidly than expected, didn't it? The news that we were moving back, maybe it took a little bit longer. E- eco chills just... <laughs> cracked into action behind us yeah. that's a fridge by the way I actually forgot to go through a bit of housekeeping at the start so there are some very strange noises here in the clubhouse at Dulwich Hamlet and uh, as Hugo has just <laughs> pointed out we're sat next to a what now appears to be a very noisy fridge that's decided to start fanning itself uh, so that's the new background yeah sound for us <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll crack on and maybe it will keep quiet um, so glamorous <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it is a great stadium. You know, you can't beat those banks behind the goal. Great stands, and we will always have the memories of getting promoted there, regardless of what happens. You never would have got that photo from Dunk Palmer at Champion Hill. No, of Dippo scoring the penalty no. and that crowd. Um, so it was it was a fitting stadium to get promoted in, in some ways. But uh, I think just by the end, those those trips down to were taking their toll, and they were coming arduous and. Even when we won, it wasn't that enjoyable anymore because you were just so far from where you wanted to be. Um, so the fact that we're back now is just like, I don't know, I'm always taking it for granted. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's back and it's better, isn't it? The attendances recently, or ever since we returned, have been mad. So I think 
uh, Tom Cullen, the Dulwich Hamlet director, tweeted maybe yesterday about the the rise in attendance, the increase increase in attendances since we returned. Uh, and I think our lowest attendance so far since being back is about 2,300, and I think average is around 2,400, which is an increase of I think he said well it's about 100 percent almost I think. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? And I think. You know, we've seen, we've had these gates out the door, like literally people queuing down to the station and not being able to get in, being told there's a cutoff point. Um, and I think it's been a bit of a struggle to work out what the optimum number is. I think we're starting to find it. And I think to their immense credit, all the staff and the stewards here are, are chipping in and doing a really good job to, to manage these bigger crowds on a consistent basis and make sure that a lot of people can come to the game but also that everyone who comes to the game is having a good time and is safe yeah particularly the bar staff as well I don't hear anyone complaining anymore about how long it takes to get a drink whether that's beside the pitch or back in the bar during the game um, there's car payments everywhere now which obviously makes transactions much quicker and it's becoming a despite the huge crowds it's becoming a much more enjoyable experience I totally agree yeah I, th I think you know we're, we both come to this clubhouse quite a lot now and it's it's nice to have a place that really does feel like a local and on that note I think we, we should give it a big plug and say that this place is open seven days a week you can get a pint for 350 that we're going to be showing a variety of sport and different games on TVs two pool tables what more could you want really? And even if you don't get a chance to come down the Dulwich Hamlet bar is worth following on Twitter because it is piloted by the new bar manager Dave or as uh, I've come to call him Sexy Dave because he is a sexy bastard good looking bloke yep. uh, and uh, his irreverent I think you call them tweets are sometimes the highlight of my day so uh, follow Dulwich Hamlet Bar on uh, on Twitter and you won't regret it definitely um, should we get on to a bit of a, a review of the season so far yeah let's and it's going to start on a bit of a somber note I feel because uh, we haven't been all that good this season have we <laughs> The step up has been rather a large one. It has. And, you know, if you were to listen to previous episodes we've recorded this season, one of our number may have made a rather bold claim that we we were on course for playoffs. I tried to find that quote today and I couldn't. There's still time. There's still time. Uh, because I'm pretty sure I did say it. And I, I did sort of believe it when I said it because on the sample of teams that I'd seen and the way that we we'd been playing and the signings that we'd made on immediately going up I thought we were ready for it and I think that we've been unlucky at times we've also been a bit naive at times I've certainly been naive to think that we could compete for playoffs so quickly but I think it's just been a learning curve and it's had to be a sharp one you know you go from having to learn how to play in a new stadium and the unfamiliarity of that to then coming back and suddenly playing in front of like three times as many people. There's a lot of factors going on. And I think now that the players and the club has a bit more security, that's going to benefit us for the rest of the season and more importantly probably going into next season. But should we get into the nitty-gritty of where it's gone wrong so far? Yeah, yeah I just wanted to add to that and say that um, it the step up in quality has been big. So has game management. I think our players have been learning that as we go along. Um, we've mentioned it before, you know, when to win a free kick, when to not give a free kick away. But there was a point in the season for at least a couple of weeks where it was actually just a shame to see players not really trying. There, I can't remember which game it was, but we were getting torn to shreds at one point and players weren't tracking back. Players just totally lost interest and head, heads went down. 
And I remember Gavin Rose saying as much in one of his post-match interviews. Um, and it, that was a point in the season that was quite difficult to watch the side, actually. Yeah. I can, I can deal with them not coping with the step-up in quality because they're only human, right? But at least put in 100%. Yeah, I think that's been shown through, hasn't it? Because um, he transfer listed a number of players sort of over the December period some of which seemed harsh some of which seemed justified but it's kind of had the desired effect in that we're now coming through the other end with a bit more of a balanced squad seeming like a squad where players know their positions a little bit more and that's quite encouraging um, but yeah I think uh, physicality as well you have to put in there like you know we kind of used to going going out there and being technically better and physically better than most teams in in our level now you know we're consistently playing against players who've been playing above the conference south who have played seasons at this level and gained a bit of nous for how to do it um, which we're still learning yeah um, and that was no more obvious than when Jordan Parks scored those couple of goals at the weekend which will come on a bit later yeah um, yeah. I think um, a couple of moments which stood out which were good and made me kind of reel back to my glory days of saying that we could finish in playoffs were travelling to Woking who were top of the table at the time still very much in the title race this season um, going there and winning and um, a number of players stepping up and having really big games Sanchez Ming Michael Chambers um, Don Boss the, these guys all look like they were more than capable of doing it and I think they are but it's just being able to do it week in week out and also getting a bit of luck because we probably did get a bit lucky that day when we beat Woking but um, I remember walking out of that game with a certain uh, Julian Poids Poidevine and him saying to me you know what mate that performance was streetwise and I like that word I like it because that's what I want us to be at this level. And the guy in front of us actually turned around and was like, yes, that's exactly it. We were streetwise. And I want us to be more streetwise game after game, but I don't think we always are. We certainly were last season. Yeah. Um, and I know that you've got some stats which you'd like to just quickly bring up as you... I do. As you <laughs> unlock your phone, which is... <laughs> I need to mention this, instance, which is resting uh, upright on a very thin, thin-stemmed... Uh, champagne glass. <laughs> so uh, Noth- nothing but class back here. Mate. You know you're listening to Ford the Hamlet. Uh, so these these stats come courtesy of Tom Bale, um, man behind the mic for DHFC TV. Did you hear how ill he sounded in the highlights from Hamill, by the way? Well, it, that man's been doing a lot of talking this season, <laughs> more than we have. Um, and you know, not only does Tom provide a great service in the commentary for the radio and and for the uh, for the highlights and post match interviews. Tom is a wealth of knowledge for Dulwich Hamlet statistics and I was able to ask him to pull up a few things for me. So at this point last season, after 31 games, Dulwich had scored 62 goals and had kept 13 clean sheets. It's two goals a game with my quick math. Very good. Um, you'll catch up with Tom with that sort of stuff. Um, but look at this as well. We had Reese Alassani with 15 goals, Nairam with 11, Ash with 7, and then four goals of Penny for Mamadou Fowl, Nathan Ferguson, and Nathan Green. Two Nathans. Fast forward a season. We've played 31 games. We've only 
got ourselves 32 points. Just over a point a game. And we've only scored 32 goals. Just over a goal a game. Correct. And now I bring you on to top so scorers. We're, we're half as good at doing goals this season. Apparently, yeah. Fuck. Um, and I think as a bonus when we've only kept four clean sheets this season compared to 13 last season, at this point in the season. As for the top goal scorers, we have Dippo with nine, Nathan Green with five, Nyron with four, and Ash with four. It's a pretty worrying dearth of goals, considering Dippo doesn't even start every game, hasn't even reached double figures. Then you have Greeny, who is a you know left-back, converted left midfielder. He's chipping in with five, and that's great. But beyond that, it's a pretty worrying state of affairs. So what do you take from that? Well, we need we need someone who's going to start and, you know, it's kind of guaranteed to get a goal a game or a goal every other game. And that's obviously what we had with Reese last season. Do you think that can be expected with a team recently promoted to the league? No, I think that's a big, that's a big ask. And we're going to have to work out who that guy is or whether we even have that guy. But there is cl- we've clearly not replaced Reese, and Reese is a player who should probably still be playing above this level now on loan at Woking, exactly, um, and showing that he can do it once again. Scored at the weekend on yeah, his debut. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's a it's an absence of a <clears throat> a main goal scorer, but it's also an absence of goals being chipped in from all over the park, and I think. It's kind of on the midfielders to step up a little bit in that department too, um, and the wingers. Um, obviously, we just talked about Greeny, Nathan Green, but um, yeah, what what do you draw from those those numbers? Uh, I'm not overly surprised, um, and I mainly because obviously I've been watching a lot of games this season and been quite involved with it anyway. But even if I hadn't, uh, you know, a team that's newly promoted to the league, first time at this level, um, I wouldn't be particularly taken aback at those stats um, I think the manner in which it's happened and the manner in which those stats have come about I think is perhaps more of a worry um, you know it's not been a it's not been too much consistency in our performances it's been quite an up and down season which you know as I said before we're getting used to a completely new level um, and we've had players coming in players leaving quite regularly which has been the same as the season's past as well um, I think it's just stability I think that will probably help us become more of a solid unit um, and try and get a bit more of a consistent yeah, true. level of performance yeah it would be interesting to see like how the team has changed game per game from the start to now because in formations too. yeah exactly yeah we are we are constantly juggling players and players coming and going and formations and you know who's in favour and who's not and yeah having a bit of stability would almost certainly benefit the team so yeah I totally agree with you there um, Any other interesting stats you wanted to bring up Mr Statsman? Um, I think that was my lot from Tom Bale to be honest but uh, I'll see what I can do next time Um and so overall, it's slightly, uh, I suppose, negative look back at the season overall compared to last season. However, recently there has been somewhat of an upturn in form. Um, the performances have been, I think, gradually improving, I'd say. Um, and 
there was a draw at Concord Rangers a couple of weeks ago, which yeah. I couldn't make. I don't know. Did you go? I was there, yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, that Concord is a bitterly cold and rather bleak place. But For those who don't know, whereabouts is it located? Uh, Canvey Island on the edge of a caravan park. Uh, but a very welcoming club, I will say. I uh, met some really nice fans there. Um, one of our number was so cold that he bought a Concord Rangers beanie. Um, which is a bit warmer than a flat cap, funnily enough. Um, that, that being said, uh, yeah, um, it was a hard game, and it was a game where um, Sol Price, for instance, who we brought in on loan from Swindon, uh, made his debut, and quite an unforgiving place to be brought on. Fuck making your debut there. Yeah, exactly. To be brought on and to be expected to to do something, but you know, he, he's eighteen, right? Yeah, exactly. He 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 ran the line well and. You know, we come away from a point, and you sort of look at you look at these games now, and you think, you know what, that's a really hard place to go in January. And they're a solid top half team. In this yeah, league. yeah, exactly. They've been they've been at this level for a while. They know what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I think you know stuff like that. That's a that's a streetwise performance in a way because it's better to come out of the point having kind of gone there to fight for one than to go out and try and win and end up getting spanked three 0 um, was it was it a nil nil result that was disappointing because we should have won it or pleasing because we could have dropped points? Dropped I, more points? I think under circumstances pleasing because we could have dropped points and we did come out of quite a. I think we can be in agreement that apart from the win on Boxing Day, some of the performances back at home so far have been a bit mixed, actually quite disappointing at times. Um, but to to go to a place like Concord and get get a point uh, was is good. Um, we also got a point at East Thurrock where um, we, we saw the return of Ricky Hales for East Thurrock and he got sent off in the first five minutes. Uh, we then returned the favour and Jay Rich Bagley got sent off too. So it was 10 v 10, also a 0 0 draw. Um, we probably should be beating teams like East Thurrock. They really don't offer very much. But again, given that circumstances of going down to 10 against 10. You sort of have to take what you're given and you build on those. And from that nil-nil, we go to the Concord game. And from there, we then came home and beat Welling. Yeah, and correct. that is probably one of the best performances of the season, I think. Because um, we say that Concord Rangers are a solid top-half team in this league, but, I mean, Welling are going for promotion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, if you remember the first game of the season, you know, we come out all happy and jolly at Welling um, away um, in in that first game and we end up losing but you just sort of think like, oh you know that's life we'll get on with it still got so much more football to be being played and the spirits do go lower as we come through this bad period but then you realise that when we set up well and people are doing their roles well and communicating we put on really good performances and I think you might be able to talk about those changing roles and how Gavin has tinkered a few players positions to get to a sort of more solid outfit that we're seeing in the last few games yeah I think that um, that Welling game um, <laughs> really sticks in my head mainly uh, I actually missed it unfortunately were you here I can't remember I was here yeah yeah so I missed it but I watched the highlights and uh, one thing that I absolutely loved was Nairon Clunas celebrating Nathan's Green Celebrating Nathan, Nathan Green, <laughs> celebrating Nathan Green's goal before it hit the back of the net. Yeah. So 
listeners, if you've not seen the goal, um, Nathan's played through, takes a lovely first touch, and he's bearing down on goal, and he shapes to curl it around the keeper, loads the keeper's right. And as he draws his foot back, Nairon already has his arms aloft in the air about 30 yards behind him. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. <laughs> Rather akin to the uh, the late Gordon Banks making <laughs> that save against, uh, against Pelé when... Um, Pele was shouting goal before it already <laughs> yeah. had gone in and of course uh, Banksy saved it that, um, I mean that finish from Nathan Green and actually just the fact that Nairn was already celebrating I mean Nathan's been pushed forward in recent weeks to play a kind of left midfield role almost a left wing role mm. instead of left back um, which really is a no brainer considering how dangerous he is going forward um, his technique his pace um, and obviously his calmness in front of goal uh, so the fact that Nairon had confidence in him to the point where he was celebrating before he even went to finish suggests that that is a a change in I suppose a change made to Nathan's game that the players are, are kind of have been expecting almost. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, and I think you know you see that chemistry within the team that like your buddies through on goal, you know he's going to score. You know, you're celebrating before it even hits the back of the net. It's a nice, it's a nice thing to see, and um, it was a nice move too, and a, and a, a well taken, well deserved goal for for a player who's really in form. And it was a totally, totally deserved three points from what I've heard. Obviously, yeah. I, as I said, I wasn't there, but yeah, your, no, no, I, absolutely. Um, Welling got one uh, towards the end, but it, you know, you never quite know when a goal's gone in at the other end when uh, when you're in the rabble. But yeah, it was, it was. You know, two one isn't an unfair result because Welling are Welling and Welling are quite good. But you know, the way we played, we always deserve to get three points out of that out of that game. Um, and then we take that momentum forward, and let's follow into the Brentford B game. Yes, um, uh, which does bear a, a brief bit of discussion, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a total mismatch. Obviously, Brentford. Um, I was going to say got rid or binned. I'm sure there's a much better way of phrasing it than that. But uh, demolished, dismantled, <laughs> dismantled their academy. Uh, was it like the end of last season? Um, as part of their whole Moneyball vibe, they're owned by the same people who, who own Michelin in, De- yeah. in Denmark. I'm not going to pronounce it like that. Uh, so they use this Moneyball financial model, and as part of that, they have. Um, Bend <laughs> their academy, uh, and so they have a B team that essentially tour Europe uh, all season long, playing friendlies against development sides and under twenty three, under twenty one sides. And as part of that, also they entered the London Senior Cup this season. So in between playing games against the likes of Wingate and Finchley and Dulwich <laughs> Hamlet, they've been playing games against Bayern Munich under twenty threes. Did they um, beat five two? Yeah, Slavia Prague first team I yeah. saw as well recently in a midweek friendly. Uh, so it was a total mismatch on a Tuesday night here at Champion Hill. Um, I thought we acquitted ourselves incredibly well. I thought we matched them, uh, almost matched them in terms of technique and in terms of game management. I was I was really really proud of the players. The only thing that was the difference is that pro players just do everything at a million miles an hour. It's terrifying to watch. Yeah, no, that's that's a good assessment of the game and um, and the performance, and it, it it was really nice to see because I think we're we become quite acclimatised to seeing uh, rather dispiriting performances in the semi-finals of this competition, where we've gone out against teams who are divisions lower than us, 
or even at a similar level to us and just kind of turning over and not really caring. This was a different story. This was a game against professional players who many of whom will go on to make it at, you know, second division, first division European clubs and will have great careers for themselves. This is their proving ground and it's for them, you know, they, they really make the point that it it's far more beneficial for these young players to be going and experiencing like different styles and playing the cream of the crop of young teams around Europe. But at home, you don't really have that same level of commitment from like the Premier League academies or, or the Championship academies, which theirs ostensibly is. Um, they're much better off competing against men, and you know that's what we are. We are a team of men. They were they were the boys, really. Obviously, we do have some young players, but. Yeah, I, I I was proud of the boys and I don't think anyone would have been too surprised from our performance if we managed to get a win. But um yeah, it's probably a probably a fair result of things considered. Yeah, I mean it was a one 0 loss in the end. Uh very narrow defeat. Um but we continued that form into the next game as well. Um where we drew Unfortunately, Drew 3-3 against Hampton and Richmond. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange game, wasn't it? When was the last time you, scored, you saw five goals in one half? It wasn't Hampton and Richmond, who was it? Uh, Hemel Hempstead. Of course yeah. it was. Yeah, um, f- yeah five first-half goals. Um, two of who were scored by Dan Thompson. Who Two of the worst goals you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> who'd gone on, gone on record speaking to uh, the South London paper, I think, earlier in the week, saying that he wasn't really a goal scorer. Just likes to break up play and will be happy to chip in. Um, so, you know, it was nice to see him get on the score sheet. And I think I've actually, I actually earmarked him in the Welling game as someone who worked really hard and um, does break, like, break up the play and break the line a bit to feed in the winger or the other striker, which has tended to be Dippo. And I, I thought he's, he's played really, really well. And to see him get those two goals, as you know, scrappy and un- unattractive as they were, was uh, was nice. And uh, he he also said in this interview that he he's been a bit of a journeyman. I think he's coming up to fifteen clubs or something. Not a particularly old guy either. And um, you know, he likes it here at Dulwich, and he he he'd like to stick around for a bit. So um, you know, a few more performances like that, Daniel, and you might. I don't mind if they go in off his knee, his ass, his nose. Yeah. As long as they go in, uh, but I have a feeling uh, a certain attacking midfielder for Hamill Hempstead might care about the type of goals he scores. <laughs> ju- judging by his brace uh, here on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Parks, uh, you should be arrested for crimes against humanity. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of goals on Saturday, um, particularly uh, his second one, which. I honestly don't know if I've seen a better goal at Champion Hill. Maybe Billy Bricknell's for Billy Ricky last season when he scored from the halfway line. Um, there was also Glenn Little's run and chip over Phil Wilson. Mm. Uh, it's the opposition ones you remember more in a few, way, isn't it? Yeah, a few years ago for Greys. That, uh, that is the uh, ex-Reading Glenn Little, by the way, when he was about 42. But um, Jordan Parks' second goal on, on Saturday was... I mean, there was a ball played out from the right-back position uh, over his right shoulder on a kind of counter-attack. He was, in, he was running into a bit of space, and he did he chest it first, and then he kneed it. So this is all on the run. So he chested it, it dropped over his shoulder. He kind of went on the half turn and chested it. Then he kneed it to get it into a position where he could volley it first time. 
And that is exactly what he did. And he caught it so sweetly from about 40 yards that it flew over the world's tallest goalkeeper and hit the back of the net. It didn't even bounce. It dropped under the crossbar and yeah. slammed into the back of the net. It's one of those ones which you like, you're just a bit annoyed that we couldn't score one of those and that we didn't have a better view of it because, yeah, you watch it on the replay and it is a fucking incredible goal. Because the ball was played forward and I turned to a friend's because I think he asked me a question. I thought, well, the ball's played forward. It's going to be a tough ball to bring down. I don't think there's anything on. And I turn around and he's running off in celebration to the Hemel fans and Liam's on the uh, tannoy announcing yeah. another goal. So at the away <laughs> fixture at Hemel, uh, which was around November, December time, I, I want, I'd like to say, um, I was at that. And um, again, that was a 1-0 defeat. Uh, we... We weren't particularly streetwise that day, that's for sure. Um, but Jordan Park scored a free kick, and that was his 100th goal for Hemel Hempstead. So he's clearly quite a talismanic player for them. Three goals against us this season, and they've all been peaches. Yeah, and the other goal on Saturday, just to give it a quick mention, the uh, ball kind of came loose about, I'd say, 20 yards out, about five yards outside the penalty area to the left of the goal if you're looking at the goal and he ran onto it and just sweetly side-footed it curling away into the top right-hand corner of the goal it was a kind of almost a Thierry Henry-esque finish um, but yeah if you haven't watched either of those goals from the weekend particularly the second one uh, make sure you check out the Dulwich Hamlet TV YouTube channel for it um, someone tweeted us the other day and suggested it should be up for the Pushkas Award and honestly I can't say that it shouldn't yeah yeah i i, <laughs> I agree i like the the pushkas goal uh pushkas award in recent season i feel has kind of veered more to the surreal you know your scorpion kicks your your overhead volleys this and that but this was just pure skill and talent and you know you could throw that to terry on and i don't think he'd be able to do it but jordan parks did and if you're listening jordan parks and Stop it. you fancy playing for a club that's at the other end of the Thames link. Uh, I suggest you get on that train at Hempstead and um, come down and play for, play for the Hamlet. But it's probably not going to happen. Uh, anyway, that brings us up to... Yeah, we're pretty much oh, up to date. Well, what we should say is that just the way that we won it on... I say won it, it felt like a win. The way that we got a point mm. on Saturday was rather enjoyable because we've been playing well. We've been battling back at 3-2 and in the 89th minute a corner comes in it's quite scrappy falls to Michael Chambers who tries to whip in a cross and the referee gives what appears to be a corner and Michael Chambers is berating him giving so much stick obviously the crowd were on his back and the referee seems to sort of change his mind and point to the penalty spot and the Hemel players are fuming the goalkeeper is all over him they're you know they're livid your man, uh, Dakari Sheriff, on loan from Colchester, 20 years young, steps up and slots home. And uh, doing what is becoming his trademark celebration of the uh, the flip. And uh, yeah, we we, we finished 3-3 and it's um, you know a well-deserved point, I thought. And it's uh, a bit of momentum to carry forward into uh, this weekend's game at Torquay. Yeah. Uh, which I think was one of the first fixtures on the list that Dulwich... Hamlet fans circled on the calendar. Uh, one hell of an away trip. The furthest, I'd wager the furthest that fans have ever travelled for a Dulwich Hamlet away game, away league game. Yeah. Um, Bearing in mind we have already been there for Truro. 
True. Which would would right. have been would have been further had they been playing in Truro. But yeah. it's by the way. Um, I know a lot of fans. In fact, one fan made his way down today, uh, which is a hell of an effort. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of fans are making a, a proper weekend of it, heading down on a Friday night and waking up uh, by the sea for the game on Saturday. You're going, aren't you, Hugo? Yeah, I'm going. I will be going on Saturday morning, uh, arriving lunchtime and meeting up with the gang, um, hoping to see some penguins and palm trees. That's what I've been promised. Not not inflatable this time. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. This is this is one that we're all really excited about. Torquay are, you know, they're a football league club. who have a football league stadium. They have a football league manager in Gary Johnson at the moment. It's not going to be an easy game. But I think it's one of these ones that, you know, that's what you get promoted for. That's what you look forward to. Um, and, you know, we've done it at Woking. Why can't we do it at Torquay? I remember when they came to um, play us in the reverse fixture earlier in the season mm. at the K&K. And I think for the f- I think it was nil-nil at half-time. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah. And I thought that fa- for that first half, we pretty much matched them. Um, they were probably a bit more comfortable on the ball, as you'd expect. But I think we matched them. And then the only thing that told, really, I think one was fitness. And, and two was know-how. Mm. Um, apart from that, I don't think there was much between the two teams. Um, and I think that know-how is why they are top of the league. Like As you said, they are a football league side. They shouldn't be in this division. Yeah, um, They've got Gary Johnson, who's managed, I don't know, two, three hundred games in the football league for various yeah. clubs. And, no the, and the Latvian national team. Yeah. Was that when Marion Parhas was active? Uh, yes, I think so. And uh, Stefanovs, who he then recommended yeah. to Wenger. That worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> That's one head of an anecdote, that is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's no surprise they're top of the league. Uh, it will be a very difficult game. Uh, but having said that, as mentioned, we beat Welling recently quite comfortably. I mean, the scoreline was tight, but the performance was, was very strong. And yeah. then... Most recent game, Torquay lost to Welling. Yeah. So you know, you know, that's how football works, isn't it? So we're obviously the best of those three teams, and we're to go there and smash them. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think this is one of these ones that you know, the result is almost secondary. It's it's going to be a really fun day out, and if we can come back with a point, I'll be delighted. Yeah, totally agree. Um, be interesting to see what the lineup is on Saturday. Uh, there's been a number of player movements this week and just general transfer news or updates in the past, I don't know, maybe six, seven weeks or so since Christmas, um, including the transfer listing of Ashley Carew, uh, amongst a few others, Sanchez Ming, Anthony Cook, Ibrahim Kargbo, who's actually left the club, uh, who's an integral part of the promotion-winning side. Gavin Tomlin as well has left. Gavin Tomlin has departed for... Um, is it Cray Valley or is it Cray, Cray Wanderers? I always get them mixed up. I think it's Cray Valley. It's Cray Valley where, Paper Mills. Where Kevin James is manager. Yeah, so they've now got a front three of Callum Willock, Kevin Lisby and Gavin Tomlin, which I think is a combined age of about 320. <laughs> but I think it's also combined career goals of about 700. Yeah. Also, Callum Willock, one of the few players who can lay claim to scoring a goal with back of his neck <laughs> the back of his neck while he's what? lying on the floor yeah. at Merstham for yeah. Dulwich a couple of years ago um, so yeah Gavin Tomlin has left as has Ibrahim Cargbo um, a player that hasn't left but is still with us is Ashley Carew uh, 
still with us might be pushing it slightly. He's not he's not physically with us. I haven't seen him at a game. So um, I I last saw him at Concord away. He was in his Dulwich stuff, but by his own admission, injured. He got injured in the Hampton away game. The game after he got transfer listed, but then also started and then got injured. He was fucking terrible that day as well. He wasn't at his best, but um, I think the reality is that he's a player who needs a defensive midfielder alongside him to get the best out of him, and he hasn't really had that much this season. As you say, Cogbo has kind of been phased out to the point where he's now left. He's been injured a lot as well. Yeah. Um, Ovid Wiggum. Um, yeah, that would do. He, he, he seems to have not been utilised that much. Has also been injured, but then when he has been on, he hasn't always played in that defensive midfield role. So it seems like when Ash has played, it's been alongside Nathan Ferguson or Dom Voss. Um, and it's just not really the way to get the best out of a player who has had many great games for Dulwich when he's been given a licence to roam. Yeah, uh, it is a shame, and a number of us felt like it was kind of the end of an era when he'd been transfer listed. I think some of us probably took it a bit too uh, too much to heart. But I think it's easy. I think it's, <laughs> a few of us being us two sat right here, <laughs> welling up as we speak about him. Yeah, I yeah. think it's easy to do that though with the memories that he's given us over the years, the goals that he scored, the free kicks, just even the drag backs, the nutmegs. Yeah. Anything that Ashley Carew tends to make a habit of doing. Exactly, he's a he's a player. He's a player who's about moments, and you know, you think about those playoff semi final free kicks, and you know, late winning penalties. Oh, and like you say, just the general sort of way in which he carries himself on the football pitch is quite romantic, and he plays with a smile. He does, yeah, and. He has that smile off the pitch too. He's a, he's a really good bloke. He's always had time for for us and many other fans. And um, I think there are always going to be players <clears throat> that you associate with a certain era in a club's history. And for this really transformative era of Dulwich Hamlet, where they've gone from being a Ryman South team to a really internationally well known, recognised, famous club in the Conference South. Ash has been instrumental in that, and I don't think that can be understated. Yeah, I couldn't put it better myself. Um, as mentioned also, Sanchez Ming is on the transfer list. He's still around the club, but he's not getting much action on the pitch, which is a shame because I thought he was a really impressive performer last season, marauding forward from right back. Um, so we wait to see what his next move might be. And then also Anthony Cook, uh, signed in the summer, a bit kind of big summer signing, big promotion signing. Um, kind of lost his way a little bit throughout the autumn, um, but since being transfer listed, has has really kind of picked his game up. He's been playing on the right side, either right back or right midfield, depending on the lineup in which him and Nyron take, I suppose. Um, and he's really kind of got the bit between his teeth recently he seems to have taken a bit of responsibility for his performances I think or maybe it's just having a consistent starting place I'm not really sure what do you think uh yeah I think it's a bit of both I guess he probably felt like he needed to put his finger out a little bit when he was transfer listed um and it seemed to have been like the big kick up the arse that he needed playing a lot better playing with a lot more drive doesn't like float in and out of games he used to a bit I'm I'm a little bit dis- 
disappointed, not necessarily in him himself, because I think he has been left out of the team sometimes. You never really know the reasons behind that, of course. But that being said, I feel like I was with you and that when we signed him, like it did feel like this was like a, a player that we could kind of pin our hopes to a little bit. And because he hasn't always played, it's been difficult to really know how good he is. But I think at his best, he's like he's a great player up there with some of the top performers in this league, and that's you know shown in his track record of two hundred fifty odd games for this this level. There's just something you said there, which has made me think about uh, whether or not this is the kind of level that you get to as a club, um, where you can make a big summer signing. And unless the context in which they are playing is right for the league, then it doesn't actually have much of an impact. So the league below, so the Bostic Premier League, you can probably make a star signing or someone, for example, like Jason Pryor, who is going to score you 40, 45 goals a season. And the likelihood is at that level, he will get the goals that will propel you up the league. Um, it's happened with Dorking this season in the in the Bostick Premier League. They have made a lot of signings. Jason Pryor has been one of them. Um, and it's that kind of star signing in that league, which means that you might be able to pin your hopes on one player. Um, I'm trying to think of any other examples, but you know, when we signed Erhan Oztuma, maybe we, yeah. people might not have known at the time that that was a star signing, but that was a player that on his own dragged the club up the league, really. I mean, yeah, exactly. at, at times. Yeah. Maybe this is a level you get to where that just isn't the case anymore because the sides you were playing against are so much more stronger I think yeah I think that's a very good point and you know Cookie is a very experienced player but he goals have sort of been like a bonus to his game I feel like his overall game is a lot more important than his goals for instance and when you're looking for someone who's really going to change results and be that focal point it's not really him so yeah I think it's it's more to do with not necessarily being able to find like that golden striker who can score every other game. We haven't done much to change the defense, really, have we? And I, you know, I love our defense, but there have been mistakes at the back. We've been a bit costly. Someone who is actually coming to his own a little bit in this like recent up, upturn in form is uh, Magnus Offenwai. And again, that's you know that was a player who came with a reputation, Colchester captain. Football league experience, um, and I think he's starting to show that leadership. Maybe kind of gets what it's a bit more about now, both as a club and as a, you know, as a unit on the pitch. Um, Just one last uh, comment on the transfers, recent transfers. Uh, as we mentioned at the, the beginning of the podcast, uh, certain Nathan Villa has left the club. Uh, much to my dismay. Um, he's actually gone to, is it Calvary FC? Who are based in Calgary, Canada, but they're not called Calgary FC, they're called Calvary FC. Uh, do you know much about this? the new Canadian, is it Premier League? Yeah, so as you know, I lived in North America for a year and a half. And while I was there, uh, tried to watch as much soccer as possible. Um, I'm a New York Cosmos fan, want to get that on record. And... While I was there, I started to become very interested in, you know, the teams outside of MLS because Cosmos, for instance, play in the reboot of the NASL, which is the original soccer league in the States. And a long story short, this kind of included all the teams who wanted to do something independent, who didn't want to have to pay the buy-in to be part of MLS, where 
the leagues own the clubs. This is NASL is about independent clubs with independent owners. Um, tend to be have a lot lower attendances, but oh, eco chills back on. Fridge is fanning itself again. Uh, these clubs often have very fervent fan bases, so you have teams like New York Cosmos, um, the Tampa Bay Rowdies did play in NASL. Um, trying to think of a few others. But in any case, uh, MLS has Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, who are the big Canadian clubs. And they will probably remain in MLS as long as time continues. But in order to have to host a World Cup, FIFA requires that you have to have a top division in your league and Canada haven't had a professional one so what they've done is kind of on the hoof set up this Canadian Premier League of other smaller cities places like Calgary maybe want to say Alberta Edmonton perhaps and this year is the inaugural season so this club have never played a game before this league has never had a season before uh, Nathan Mavilla is going off to play in an entirely new league. Could go tits up, but it's quite exciting. I think it's quite cool. Yeah, it is, I always think this kind of thing is mad because clubs are signing these players of a certain standard, but surely nobody has a clue about what the standard is going to be. Yeah. So surely in those first few weeks, it's going to be a kind of suck it and see, oh, fucking hell, he, he's not right for this level. Yeah. He's too good for this level. It really fascinates me. Yeah, I think a similar thing kind of happened in the uh, Women's Premier League because this is the first year that that league has been entirely professional. And in the first few weeks, you were seeing like 10-0 here or like 5-0 here. And it comes from, you know, just you don't really know what talent pool you're working with in the same way that you do when a league has been in existence for 100 years. I suppose, does it come down to the wages that are being offered, really? I think it must do, like... I would love to know how the scouting networks work for these clubs and yeah. what, what the sort of recruitment is involved in this because who's been down here and thought, oh, you know what would be a really good uh, signing yeah. for uh, Calvary FC back home? It's that Nathan Mavilla. And, you know, fair play to him for entertaining the offer. And I'm, I'm sure there must be good money behind it. And also not, not to say the least of at all, the opportunity to go abroad, which not many footballers realise that they have when they're, you know, stuck in like a, a routine of, you know, part-time work perhaps and balancing that with family commitments, general life and being a semi-professional footballer. Mm -hmm. But he's a young guy. I know there's uh, a guy called Jordan Brown who was at Arsenal's academy and then went to West Ham and then actually went to play for Hanover for a little bit. He's also at uh, Calvary. Um, so they're going to be reunited. I think Mavia and Brown were in the West Ham Academy together. So that's quite nice. But um, yeah, we we watch on with interest. And um, like you say, there might be some, some surprising results for, for everyone in the first few weeks. Yeah. Um, we should also say that uh, Cech Toure has left. He's another player who's departed the club. He has rejoined Burgess Hill Town. Um, they posted that on Twitter earlier and I just think that when you're announcing a new player signing on Twitter surely it's just an excuse for a, a terrible but terribly great punt so sh surely the obvious one was he's chaked in <coughs> I, I literally do this for free <laughs> <laughs> yeah or like you know get some Burgess Hill fans singing that you know Colo 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 
<laughs> Torre chant or something like that. Yeah, I know. There's plenty of opportunities. And, you know, if anyone else is listening and wants to tap us up for that sort of commission, we're, we're available. Yeah, when I, when I say free, I do mean a nominal fee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, is there anything we've forgotten? Uh, actually, uh, before we go, I did want to say um, get well soon to Mishi Marath. Uh, he's already been getting more well than he has been recently. Um, those of you who don't know, I'd be very surprised if there are any of you who don't know really, if you are connected to Dulwich Hamlet in any way. Uh, lifelong fan and a former committee member, uh, Mishi Dulwich Marath, uh, very uh, sadly suffered a heart attack at a game a couple of weeks ago uh, luckily the game was being played between two army sides if I'm right in saying that and so there were a number of first day trained um, attendees and players there who actually managed to save uh, Mishi's life uh, and a good friend of his uh, Tony uh, managed to get him to hospital in time and uh, after a, a quite a a tricky few days in hospital uh, we are very pleased to say that Mishi is on the mend he's out of hospital he was actually here in the clubhouse the other day enjoying uh, a pint of Pepsi Max which I'm sure he gravely missed uh, during his time away he uh, he doesn't feel up to attending a game yet which is um, totally unsurprising given the huge crowds um, however he is back on his feet and uh, and on the mend so um, get well soon Mishi yeah, and uh, all I would just add to that is um, in the same way that uh, talk about Ash defining a, a brief period in, in Dulwich's history, Mishi defines a, a whole era, decades of, of immense support and promotion and passion towards this club and he's someone who makes it what it is today and uh, I too am very glad to hear that he's on the mend and I look forward to seeing you again when you're back at Champion Hill permanently Mishy. I think that's a pretty nice place to leave it um, there is some Champions League on what's the time here you go it's almost 25 past 8 we are we are almost missing the entirety of the first half of I think it's Schalke against Man City and Atletico against Juve when we go back out into that clubhouse what do you reckon the scores are going to be I'm going to say 1-0 to City. Goal scorer? Uh, Sané. Oh. Um, and it's going to be 0-0 Atletico Juve. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I'd, I'd probably go 3-0 City. Probably Aguero twice. Maybe David Silva. And uh, I'm going to go 1-0 Atletico. I'm going to say Koke's got it. And Ronaldo is probably crying somewhere. And on that note of Ronaldo's tears, um, anything else from you, mate? No, no, I think that's it. Let's get out there and uh, enjoy some, enjoy some elite soccer. Right. Get away from this fucking fridge. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. It's been a pleasure. See you on the terraces soon. Bye bye. Swaggering dandies is the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Swaggering dandies. An absolute humdinger.